Hi, this is Dr. Angela Cortal, and today we'll be mapping joint pain on the 15-Minute Matrix. Welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix. I'm Andrea Nakayama, functional medicine nutritionist and your host. This is the podcast that brings you bite-sized insights and lessons on the clinical relevance of the functional nutrition matrix, the most important tool in functional medicine and functional nutrition. The matrix is so important not only because it invites us to stop and assess, but also because it reminds us of three very important factors in our care, our recommendations, and our outcomes. Everything is connected, we are all unique, and all things matter. Be sure to head over to this episode's show notes at 15minutematrix.com if you'd like to see today's topic mapped on a downloadable matrix to remind you of these critical aspects of care. Today on the 15 Minute Matrix, I'll be talking with Dr. Angela Cortal. Dr. Angela is an Oregon-based naturopathic doctor who has made it her mission to change how we approach and treat chronic joint pain by reversing the courses of arthritis one joint at a time. She is passionate about the topic because of her own history with a debilitating knee injury that caused years of chronic pain, feeling stuck, and feeling like she was out of options. Through her clinical practice, best-selling book, and online education, she teaches her patients and the public her framework for looking at and treating chronic joint issues using a root cause approach. Her goal is to help everyone experiencing chronic joint pain to get healing, moving, and feeling their best, as Dr. Angela has done for herself and thousands of her patients. Dr. Angela, welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix. Thank you. I am so glad to be here. I am so glad to talk about this topic. I think it's going to be popular when we point back to again and again. We're talking today about joint pain, and I'm wondering if you could start us off by explaining what that feels like and maybe how it compares to other musculoskeletal pain. Yeah. So there are so many different kinds of joint pain, as I'm sure all of us are aware of different ones that we would put in a category of degenerative osteoarthritis fits into that. It's often described as a wear and tear kind of joint pain as a kind of functional and naturopathic minded practitioner. I don't agree that it's just wear and tear. Mm -hmm. And we also have different kinds of joint pain that might be coming from an autoimmune or an inflammatory process in my work and my kind of clinical approach with patients because osteoarthritis or degenerative joint pain is so common, about a, a quarter of adults in the U.S. have that diagnosis. That is where I focus, both because of its prevalence and also because what I was saying with that, I will just say flatly erroneous idea that it is just wear and tear. I actually find that there's so much we can do to affect its progression, its process, and really just work work on reversing that. So when we think about the left side of the matrix and we're talking about the potential of wear and tear as a trigger, but you're saying there's other lifestyle and immune and autoimmune factors, are there other triggers 
for joint pain that we might not be thinking about? Yeah. So I would, in my mind, thinking about the matrix and working with a patient, sort of start telling up what are those factors that are non-modifiable that we just should be aware of and Mm. what are those that are modifiable. So love that women are at an increased risk as we go through our decades, those in their 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s plus can be at an increased risk if someone has had a surgery or has had a very physically intensive job, maybe they're lifting and carrying something and just putting more more stress, more literally wear and tear. In that in that instance, I would right. I would say that it's correct. So so those are things we can't really do a whole lot about our age and gender and things like that. So I really look at what can we assess and intervene and actually change and. Yes. I mean, in in all those other kind of non-surgical, non-age-related categories, we get into someone's immune system. Is there systemic inflammation that's setting this off? Is that coming from an infectious source? Is that coming from a chronic inflammatory, such as maybe a gastrointestinal disorder? Is there deficiencies present in terms of their, their nutrient status? hormonal status, and then also kind of foundational lifestyle aspects like stress levels, sleep. So all of these really have a big impact on how our joints are healing. And I think of it as sort of tipping tipping the teeter-totter from what is previously just a degenerative course. There is more breakdown of those joints, of the joint capsule cartilage, the rolling surfaces inside of the joints, uh, maybe ligaments and tendons around the area if there's a chronic ligament strain or tendinopathy. And so we can instead identify for this patient, which of these do we need to be addressing and really shift that teeter-totter into a into boosting more of the regenerative processes. I love how you explain that. And as you're talking, Dr. Angela, I'm wondering if you can explain a little bit more how a joint should function. I know we do know these things, but for me, especially from a functional perspective, and you're really speaking into that beautifully with the modifiable factors, it often helps when we know like what is functional. So what are functional joints doing? (laughs) They are moving. They are helping us get around our day-to-day life. We are just kind of going about our day, taking care of ourselves, our family, our loved ones. We are physically active. We are engaged in um, specific exercises or just hobbies that are that are physically active and our joints aren't stopping us. They're not putting limits on. And especially I would say something that I hear very commonly from patients is I can't do that anymore or I can't do that like I used to. And I'm not talking about Olympic level lifting. I'm right. talking about not being able to hike anymore. <laughs> or and, play the piano or knit. Or get down on the ground and play with grandkids. Right. Like just literally not being able to get down on the floor and then get back up again. Mm. So so I think of it as how is it affecting someone's life, their quality of life, and and is that is that stopping them? And what are the factors that help those joints to perform their function? Are there certain nutrients or fluids or things that should be in good repair or repletion for that function? 
Yeah, I would say it touches on a lot of pieces of the matrix and and various ones will be more significant, a higher priority for each person. But but jumping off your mentioning of fluids, so hydration status is definitely important. And the reason for that is if we focus in really microscopically in into these joints, into the cartilage matrix itself, we can see these compounds called glycosaminoglycans, and they are they kind of look like almost a, a telephone pole when you see the the cartoon diagram. So it's a, mm-hmm. a backbone and a whole bunch of branches and a whole bunch of branches off of that even. And each of those glycosaminoglycan molecules can hold about a thousand molecules of water. But if someone is dehydrated, then those compounds are going to be dehydrated too, just go, going along with everything else. So then that's going to set someone up to have more dry, crunchy, dehydrated joints. And then going further into the nutrients, I think of how I categorize it is there's certain compounds that can in excess trigger and accelerate arthritis and other compounds that uh, we need to be careful of uh, not being deficient. So in the excess realm, a lot of that in, in my work with patients is revolving around assessing if they have metabolic disease, insulin resistance, you know, Mm. blood sugar problems. If they're just between their metabolism and their diet, we're seeing excess glucose and insulin happening after meals, or even that, that glucose or that insulin can be present uh, the next day. So we know most of the hours of the day, uh, if someone has high blood sugar, high insulin, that is very triggering to arthritis. We can see in the research that that insulin, that excess insulin actually ends up in the joints. It's it's literally irritating inside of the joints. Ooh, that's fascinating. I always say that the non-negotiable trifecta is sleep, poop, and blood sugar balance. If we don't have that in place, it's really hard to pass go because we might clear up a lot just by addressing those things, which I should say aren't adjust. All of those three things can be pretty complicated to work with any individual on rectifying. Yeah. And so we that's that holds all the way down to, to looking at joint function. Also sleeping, pooping, and balancing your blood sugar. <laughs> yeah, non-negotiables. I know I've been fortunate. I haven't, I'm going to knock on wood here, in my mid-50s, haven't had much joint pain except when I eat eggs long-term. And Eggs are an inflammatory food for me. I have been in situations where I've been out of the country and I've been able to eat eggs. I haven't had many options, ate them and was like, yes, I can now eat eggs. And then I come back and even where we live, Dr. Angela, where I can get eggs that are free of soy and corn and pasture raised and buying them right from the farmer who raised them. We live in a place where everybody has chickens in their their yard or every other neighbor And if I continue to eat eggs, my fingers, my hands, my typing hands will start to experience joint pain. That's my only experience. And it's sort of niggling. What are those first signs that we could be paying attention to for ourselves and exploring with our clients or patients? Yeah. So I would say if someone is removing a dietary allergy or intolerance or just some something maybe in their environment that's triggering to their joint pain, often it'll start with increasing achiness in the morning, stiffness, difficulty getting up and down stairs. Mm. I, I think of the our physical ability, just what you can do in terms of your 
aerobic capacity, strength capacity, it sort of shrinks. It starts, it starts shrinking on someone as, as they're adding back in something that is just their, their, their body does, does not work well with that. Yeah, that makes sense. And that brings us into those modifiable factors. We've touched on a number of them, but I'm wondering if you could go a little bit more in depth into the connections that you've found in your practice or in the research between those elements on the right side of the matrix. So you mentioned that sleep can have an impact on our joints. What's the connection there? So with sleep, it's a matter of when you are sleeping, when you're in your deep sleep cycles, that's when your body is building, regenerating, fixing all of those processes, whether we're looking at um, ligament or cartilage cells, for example, when they're most active, when they're actually regenerating and creating new ligament or cartilage cells, it's by, by and large happening while we sleep. So if someone is cutting into those hours or has very restless sleep and is just not getting the deep sleep that is required, they will not heal as fast. So if they're getting some sort of care, like really paying a lot of attention, doing a lot of the other things that we're talking about and just why, why am I not healing? Why, why is this not really getting better if they're, if they're very deprived in the sleep? That's probably a big, a big roadblock there. Yeah, so many factors there with sleep detoxification and just that repair that you're talking about that the body needs. Do you see clients and patients when we move into the exercise and movement category, it sounds like people start to restrict and then it's a bit of a catch 22. How do you counsel through that change in mobility or ability while still not letting go of the need to keep moving. Yeah. So it can often necessitate a little bit of some professional guidance, some expert guidance, whether it's working with a, an athletic trainer or coach or someone who's really tuned into not, not just the high level athletic environments, but maybe those of us with chronic joint pain who need to just get some modifications for something that works well for our body, for how we move, make sure it's good and safe and, and just start somewhere, start literally anywhere. I have some patients where just floor exercises or chair yoga or aquatic therapy is where they're starting because everything else increases their pain. And I, and I have a very, this is a time to have a heart to heart with my, with my patients, clients where I realize you're in pain right now in joint pain and, mm. and it's chronic all day, every day. You still need to move. We still need to get you moving in some way, some fashion. There's definitely a lot of research about specific types of exercise can be uh, even more helpful for uh, degenerative joint disease. But at the very beginning, if someone is 100% sedentary, we just need to start something. And I And I tell patients that we don't want to increase your pain. The ex we don't want the exercise to increase your pain, but it's acceptable that you will have pain during the exercise that you had right before it. Like we can't wait for your pain to 100% go away before you start exercising. It just won't work that way. Right. It's sort of like a move it or lose it. What are those forms of exercise that are studied to be most effective? Well, the great thing is that um, that there's a ton of research out there. So almost no matter what kind of category of exercise someone just really likes naturally, 
Um, there, there's definitely some out there. So a lot of it is looking at full body exercise and that can be weightlifting and other resistance, high intensity interval training, yoga, Pilates, and, and even some pretty mild, like just stretching and isometric. So something on the, on the floor, like doing uh, core exercises and plank exercises, so, so it's, it's really diverse. I, I just encourage patients like, what do you like to do? Let's start with yeah. that. <laughs> and, yeah, and yeah. then, and then we can adjust things further. So I have two final questions for you and they may be big ones. So <laughs> we can dive in moving into the nutrition. We talked about hydration and you talked some about nutrition. What is your thought on supplements? You talked about the glucosamine in the cartilage. I know a lot of people rush to supplementation. What's your approach there with joint pain and supplementation? I would say that I use it commonly, but never on its own. Mm-hmm. And how I how I view it is that they can be helpful. They're, they can be the, the, the icing on the cake, the, the no sugar cake. <laughs> Yes. And so well said. <laughs> and that uh, after the foundations, or p- potentially along with, we're getting some of these other nutrient deficiencies or hormonal deficiencies, uh, inactivity, metabolic disease, as we're addressing the actual root causes then there can definitely be a role for, I do use glucosamine. I tend to use it just plain on its own bioavailable or curcumin um, sometimes is is helpful for patients. Um, Collagen supplementation, that ties into what I was mentioning about the nutritional deficiencies. So if someone has low protein uh, intake and specifically isn't getting any collagen in dietarily, sometimes the supplementation can be helpful, but it's it's really not, I don't see them as a standalone, just take uh, collagen and it'll solve everything because very often there's a lot more going on behind the scenes in terms of where the the degenerative joint disease came from. And it wasn't just take the supplement and, and that's going to fix everything. Yeah. So well said. And why we really have to do that deeper digging into the root causes, as you said. And I love that you made that plural. I'm always making that point that people are often or too often looking for the root cause as opposed to the root causes. And that brings me to my final question, which is about your framework. I'm, I'm assuming we kind of ticked through it, but can you just briefly explain your framework? We'll lead to your resources in the show notes, but I want to make sure we covered your unique framework. With, uh, with chronic joint pain, going, going through a really thorough physical exam with patients, I often find there's additional sources of pain and not just right inside of that joint where they have their x-ray or their MRI and it does show a thinning of the cartilage. And so sometimes patients can get very, very attached to that is the only reason that I have pain. Hmm. And very often, just like multiple causes, there can definitely, and I would say is very, very often multiple sources of where someone's chronic pain is coming from, whether that's a ligament, tendon, muscle, nerve issue nearby, or maybe it's radiating in the case of, say, knee pain, for example, that could be coming from the, the hip or even the low back area. 
So, so I want to make sure that we have the full information on where someone's pain is coming from and then moving into these different pieces of, of assessment and building up like we've covered, such as uh, movement, nutrition, um, hormonal evaluation, depending on what else someone is saying. If they're, if they're mentioning a lot of symptoms that make me suspicious of a hormonal deficiency or if they've had labs in the past where I think really we need to do a deeper dive, something wasn't evaluated fully for you here, whether that's thyroid or, or sex hormones such as estrogen, testosterone, progesterone, all of those have um, an impact in arthritis progression. And I would say that estrogen and thyroid are, are really the most common ones that I see there, where if they are deficient, someone very likely, I, I, I should say, has a very high risk, a much higher risk of developing arthritis earlier in their life and for that to be progressing faster uh, than, it, than it would. So, so those are important factors. And then layering in supplementation, if that really seems like it's meeting um, uh, a, filling a hole, so to speak in their, in their treatment, uh, approach. And then I also do regenerative injection therapies for some of my patients, predominantly prolotherapy and platelet rich plasma injections. And the reason I should say the, um, the, the thought behind those is that the injections are going specifically to an area that just really needs a concentrated healing prompt. That's what they, that's what the injections do is they, they, prompt the body uh, where the injections are, bringing the immune system to the area, sort of tricking it, making it think it's a new fresh injury so we can reinitiate the healing cascade there. Dr. Angela, thank you so much for joining us on the 15-Minute Matrix. Thank you for having me. The 15-Minute Matrix is brought to you by me, Andrea Nakayama, and the Functional Nutrition Alliance. Check out the latest in functional nutrition at functionalnutritionlab.com forward slash blog. The 15-Minute Matrix is produced, mixed, and edited by Rowan Bradley with production support from Natalie Merrill and the team at the Functional Nutrition Alliance. You can find episodes on all kinds of topics with more incredible guests at our podcast website, 15minutematrix.com. And if you'd like to be notified by email each week about our podcast releases, head on over to 15minutematrix.com forward slash notify. Also, please feel free to get in touch with us. We would love to hear your thoughts, your feedback, and who you'd like to hear next on the podcast. You can email us at ask at 15minutematrix.com. 